180 Omaha. Live. You like that? You like that? In the entertainment capital of the world. Rogers. In trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in it? In the end zone. It is caught for the win. Richard Rogers with a walk-off touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Play action. Awesome time. Deep shot for Parker. to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Oh, my goodness, the legend just goes on. The doctor is now in. How you like me now? 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 It is a fabulous Friday, and you know what that means. We are live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. No better place to be here on the Las Vegas Strip. It is the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. T.C. Martin, Double B, Brian Benowitz, our gracious host here from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas in the house. And Marco D'Angelo joined us all the way from Pittsburgh, PA, via Las Vegas, and here for the whole two hours today. There it is. Anytime, T.C. There it is. I love hanging out with you, know, you guys. We did not want an opener today, to borrow a baseball term. You know, we, we we wanted to go ahead and we wanted to stretch you out mile and a half today. If we uh, you know go to the horse racing term, right? There you go. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. Uh, there it is. Yes. I wouldn't go that far. But uh, you know, he he is not Kip Kano. Mile okay. and a half is a marathon in horse racing terms. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. That is true. All right. Live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. It is a football Friday. You know what that means? We will give you our best bets, our three best college plays, three best NFL plays a little bit later next hour. But in the meantime, we'll be breaking down all of the action. Uh, for Sunday and Monday, the NFL. And it is conference championship weekend on the college football side. One of my favorite weekends. I love the Saturday where we have meaningful college football games. Every game on the board, well, no. except for one, <laughs> USC, uh, Cal. Why this game is on the board thrown in there, I have no idea. I don't care. We don't, we don't need to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, it was a postponed COVID game. I exactly. Think, yeah. It was. It, absolutely. And uh, talk about two teams have absolutely nothing to play for. And TC, congratulations. I know you predicted Pitt and uh, Wake in the ACC championship game before the year started, so that's pretty impressive. I did. Absolutely correct. You know, I love that Wake Forest team. I love that team that scores 56 and gives up 53. You know, yeah, That's right. What's the over-under? Yeah. I look at that. And I was thinking about that today when we were talking about the ACC uh, you know, uh, championship game. We need Notre Dame back. Remember we had the Notre Dame thrown in there last year? And can you imagine if Notre Dame is in the ACC and playing ACC schedule and they let them partake in the championship game? Now they've got something. We have an ACC great game. And now Notre Dame's just kind of sitting out waiting in the wings for see everyone else to fall so they can potentially get in. The college football playoff. Yeah, Notre Dame's in big trouble. They uh, they uh, they should have joined a conference. They had all the opportunity in the world to join a conference. They didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're paying for it now because Oklahoma State has the inside track if they win that game mm-hmm. to get in there. Right. Um, unless something really falls apart otherwise. Yeah. Um, they're without a coach. Mm-hmm. And let's get on to that. TC Dino, did you talk about that, that hire? Oh, yes. For LSU, you've already talked about it? Uh, we, we can talk about it uh, some more. And I plan on talking about uh, just setting the stage here for this college uh, ch- uh, conference championship weekend here. Have 
we ever seen a crazier week in the sport of college football than what has transpired this week. And I can't remember us saying that, you know, last year and a little bit the year before. But now this is ridiculous on where we're getting with these coaching hires uh, before the season even is over. And then we've got teams that are in the middle of college football, you know, you know, playoffs. Uh, we see Oklahoma. Uh, lose their coach. Notre Dame lose their coach within a 24-hour span. Uh, both teams fighting for their you know, playoff ranking lives last week. It, it is a mess. And then we have more of it today. Bronco Mendenhall, he's gone over, over at Virginia. Uh, the chips keep falling. And uh, now Brian Kelly is, he leaves Notre Dame and says that uh, you know, he, couldn't, he couldn't pass up, uh, well, he should just say I can't pass up $10 million a year. Yeah, 90, That's what he should say. Is what but, he but, said. but right. I mean, he, he left like with no class. Yeah, no class whatsoever. And then he goes to the LSU press conference, and he wants to all of a sudden get this southern twang, like he's from Louisiana now, and talking about, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I. What? You know, what is, seriously? These guys are great. Uh, Come on. SC makes a great hire going after Lincoln Riley. The guy's got two Heisman Trophy winners, laundry list of people in, in the uh, uh, NFL he can recruit. They're going in the SEC, so there's not going to be easier to play in the SEC schedule. Now he's going to go to the Pac-12. I think it's a brilliant move for SC. LSU, I don't get. I don't get it at all. What was the rush to throw that kind of money at a guy that's not proven? He's been outside of the conferences for all these years. He hasn't won the big game. Uh, he seems to be like a bitter guy. You throw all this money out of nowhere. And, and I have a lot of friends at LSU that are, that are concerned. They don't think they got the right guy. Uh, my guy, Bose, Granny, my new friend, Olivia. New who's friend. Down, new friend. Yes, Trevor. Trevor's uh, a friend. Trevor, hockey Trevor. He's on his way to Lafayette, Louisiana this weekend okay. to go visit Olivia, and she's an LSU grad, and she's upset. Can we go back to Granny? Granny. Where, where does Granny fit in the, into this? Granny is a, he, this is named Granville. <laughs> He's from LSU. But I was down there Granville for a lot of years. The, from the longest yard? Yeah, he could be, uh, yes. Uh, great guy. Great guy, but they're all concerned. Uh, they're all concerned. LSU is used to winning. This is not the guy. I don't think he's the guy. I think he's going to get gobbled up in the SEC schedule. I think it's a terrible hire. I was shocked that uh, Brian Kelly left the Notre Dame. I know it's money, but the Notre Dame job, let's face it, it's as cushy as it could be. You're going to get a soft schedule every year. You're on TV every single week. That's nice when you're going in to recruit, to get people to come there. It surprised me, but uh, money is the answer to everything. It's not going to be easy in the SEC. I talked about this earlier this week, and every time I, I start talking about it or thinking about it, I get fired up again, and, and you're going to get me going again. If you have success at Notre Dame, no matter what sport, you never leave that job. They will name buildings after you. They will name streets after you. You are set for life. He's got 95 million reasons to leave. Understand. And it's all guaranteed but, from what I understand. But, but he was, like I said. And the, the administration was like, yeah. they shrugged their shoulders. Yeah. They're like, oh, he's leaving? Who cares? Yeah. They don't even like him there at Notre Dame. No. That's, there, there is a, a faction of people that feel that way. But Notre Dame has always had the motto of, hey, if, if you're going to leave us, good riddance. We are going to move on. We're going to take the high road here. But here's the thing, you know, with Kelly. Okay, he's jumping and the only rhyme or reason that I can come up with, he wants to be with the big boys. He wants to play in the SEC. Uh, he didn't like the independent schedule, you know, you know, Notre Dame, because you have to be perfect, you know, every year to even be considered for a championship game because you don't have the conference, you know, affiliation, and you do have some soft spots. But Notre Dame did play a pretty decent schedule this year. We talked about that before. But they were right there. They're on the outside looking in. They're lambasting opponents. And if things go right, Brian, if, if they 
they could still slide in there. I would tend to disagree with that schedule. I mean, they, they, they didn't play Michigan. They picked up the Virginias of the world. They picked up, of course, But Stanford, they had Florida State. Whatnot. They had North Carolina. Well, they held it. It, no, it but, turned out being a bad team. But when you make these schedules seven or eight. Only, Cincinnati right. was the only team and they failed. But I'm saying when you make these schedules seven or eight years ago, that looked like a pretty darn good schedule in comparison to where they've been before, filling it up with the Armies, the Navies, and the if Air Force. If you've got to compete in a conference every year, they know what you're all about, yeah. and you and you got to go play at their yeah. place. And we talk about revenge games. Yeah. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I I don't I don't see it for Notre Dame. I don't mm-hmm. see it for. Uh, uh, I like the way they ended the year. I got on the bandwagon. Yeah. Of course, against Stanford and all the other dregs that they beat up down the stretch. Right. But I think it's I think that the uh, their um, uh, Kelly is not the guy at LSU. He is not. This is a bad hire. They got Coach O, who you know I didn't like, but he won a championship. He recruited down there. He knew how to react to those kids. Uh, Louisiana is not the easiest place to recruit, uh, and you got to go up against uh, um, you know the, the the five stars against the Alabamas of the world. Alabama, the Georgia, Oklahomas, Florida, and Texas yeah. are coming in yeah. there. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. And the thing about it is, too, if you're Brian Kelly, you really got to think. And all you have to do is just look at the recent past and the recent history of LSU. Ed Ogeron won a national championship two years ago. Two years ago. Oh, and also go back and ask Les Miles. Les, Les Miles won. He started eating grass, and that was the end of him, right? A- absolutely. I mean, four or five years later, Les Miles was fired. He, yeah. was, he was gone after winning a national championship. Four years removed from being the coach of the year. In 2011, Les Miles was the college coach of the year, the Walter Camp Award winner. And then two, in 2015, gone. I mean, yeah. LSU has no patience. So if you lose three or four games, your head is on the chopping block. And that more than likely, like your, to your point, I agree with you, that could be more of the norm for LSU, especially in the next few seasons. You get four losses, you're gone. And I told you, I watched that LSU team play. They are soft. Mm-hmm. They are not an SEC, SEC team anymore. They got blinded by all that uh, speed on the outside that one year. They won the national championship. They're not, they're not, they're not to the point where they're going to turn it around with a coach or people in the transfer portal because people aren't going to transfer there to play for Brian Kelly. Right. And I guess one of the reasons, too, why they made the hire immediately because with the early signing period, they wanted to make sure they jumped on this right away. And, and that's why they made the hire. But I, I don't agree with it. It's been crazy. And, again, here we are again with college sports. We talk about during basketball season. and We talk about during football season with, you know, the playoffs and lack of expansion. And, oh, maybe one day we'll – without a commissioner, without any solidarity from anywhere. I mean, it's – this is what we have, and it is a nightmare. But what we've seen this past week is horrible for the sport of college football. It's horrible for for the college athletics in general. It's terrible. Who goes to Oklahoma now? <laughs> I mean, you, you got to believe those players like like Williams is going are just going to go to SC. Yeah. They could transfer without any well, problem. Spencer now. Rattler already, you know, transferred. He said, "I'm out of here." Yeah. So and and again, uh, they had what uh, six decommits within a 24-hour uh, span when oh, Lincoln did. Riley said that, "Hey, I'm going to USC," and and they had six blue chippers. Coming in from high school, I, I'm ready to go. Well, wait a minute, I, I'm out. And then he took basically his entire coaching staff with him to to SC. But you're right, from an SC standpoint, great move, great hire. SC is going to be relevant again. That's terrible. And yes, it's, it's, terrible it's a great hire, but, 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 <laughs> but it is a great hire. Yeah. yeah, and his style of offense is going to do so well in the Pac-12. I mean, he's going from one conference that doesn't have any defense to another conference that doesn't have any defense, and they're going to be. You know, 
they're going to win the recruiting wars. I mean, it's going to be you, you know, USC and uh, UCLA, and maybe we'll have that back to the battles of, you know, yesteryear, whenever that meant something. The final Saturday in uh, November, when those two hook up for the rivalry games. But uh, great hire for Southern Cal. I feel bad for the kids that still have a game to play. Right. That's what I don't like mm-hmm. is the coaches that move in the midst of things. And like you said, it would take a domino of things to happen for Notre Dame to get there. But there is an outside shot, and that's not fair to the players, right. in my, you know, my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. Again, Oklahoma, a little bit different. But look how that happened. I mean, that Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game was a fantastic game. It was back and forth, and Oklahoma had that game. They had a nine-point lead in I the fourth it, yeah. quarter. In that game. However, it was because Oklahoma State gave them that nine points. <laughs> That's right? true. That's true. I mean, it wasn't anything right. Oklahoma was doing in right. that game. But th- then we hear that Lincoln Riley was saying that, well, he got the phone call, you know, early in the morning from USC. But then in another interview, he's saying, well, yeah, on the way home, I, you know, I really started thinking about it. It's like, well, okay, wait, wait a minute. You know, wh- what's the truth here? What, what's the deal? And like I said, it all comes down to, to those players and it's just, again, you, you come off a bedlam, come off an emotional loss. Okay, you're done now. And then the Notre Dame situation is like, they're still thinking that they've, they've got a shot to get to the playoff. Lakin Riley's been there five years. He's done a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're relevant. They win the, the conference almost every year. And now he gets to take his team. He's only 38 years old. Right. Uh, and and uh, go to this terrible school in the middle of L.A. <laughs> and uh, uh, be competitive. So we'll, we'll see. Do you own any red and gold at all whatsoever? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> this no. Is, and, of course, this is the UCLA Bruin alumnus that we're talking about. Oh, but I get, to go, I get yeah. to go to Baton Rouge here in a few years Baton for, that, Rouge. for uh, UCLA LSU. Can't wait. All right. The 12 of us that went to this last game are all, all geared up, ready to go to LSU. Yeah. But what about his track record with quarterbacks? I mean, he's going to be phenomenal. He's going to get whoever yeah. he wants. Mm-hmm. The blue chipper, top five star recruit, whatever and, they're going to want to play. For him. I went down to see him, and, and he had uh, Kyler Murray passing to uh, C.D. Lamb, right? Uh, Hollywood Brown, mm-hmm. and he had Mark Andrews as the as the tight end. You think those are some skilled players? Yeah, they're they're, they're playing. They're all the, the top of their profession for crying out loud. So uh, yeah, he's going to recruit. Yeah, no question. And look at all the blue chippers just are coming out of Southern California this year. You know, you know, high school kids, and then you know, you got Bryce Young who just came out. You know, last year, you know, went to Alabama. These are all Southern California kids. Hey, one more. Speaking of Alabama, yeah. talking about having a game handed to them, that <laughs> Auburn team, I, if I was an Auburn alum, I'd be outraged. Yeah. I was watching that game, and I was yelling at the TV. I was yelling. I mean, they, they get the ball in midfield, and they throw a pick. Yeah. Then that guy goes out of bounds, and I'm like, oh, my God, he just caught, he could cost him the game, yeah. and he did. Yeah. Did you see the bonfire afterwards, people burning their Auburn shirts? Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. I mean, I, talk about, that team was dead in the water, Bama, uh, and uh, they allowed it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I don't understand these coaches that don't understand time. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Michigan did masterfully mm-hmm. in that game, they gave up a touchdown, yeah. but they, they allowed Ohio State. No, every play was challenged. Ohio State, it took them four and a half minutes to go down the field. And then there's only going to be one more possession. Of course, Michigan just ran right over them. Right. But it's all about time. There's only so many things. They limited the possessions Ohio State was going to have. And that's why they won that football game. Yeah. And, and Auburn, they had it. They had it a number of times and just decided, nah, we don't want this. We'll get it. At what point do you start giving Alabama a little bit of credit? None. For, for, no, no, zero in that game. But, but it's just in the DNA. And you talk about... Auburn, a team really not playing for anything, they felt tight, 
And all of a sudden, you know, Alabama's defense did ramp it up, and they shut Auburn down. And this is what championship teams do. And I'm telling you, we'll I get don't, it. We'll I don't get give it. them one speck of credit for yeah. that. That was all uh, Auburn. All Auburn's fault. I mean, 100%. Bryce Young still had to make the pass. He still had to make the catch. I mean, they still had to put that drive together. And didn't they convert uh, you know, several third and longs and even fourth downs you know, on, on that final drive? They wouldn't have the time. TC, it's all about time. Nobody knows how to manage the clock. These coaches, these these young guys, they don't know how to manage the clock. It was all about time. That's and true. that guy going out of bounds, then they, they were in a panic and, and just ran the ball backwards. There should have been like 40 seconds left on the clock, which has not enough time to go down the field. So at any point in time, you know, we, these years, all these years we've been doing our show, did you ever think that someone would, would sit here at this table on, on conference championship week and be wearing a Pitt Panther hat? Well, uh, you called it, TC. You said Pitt's going to be in that in that championship That's game early in the year. Pitt and Wake. Yes. And you know what? Mark and Pitt, a, Pitt is a, wearing the Pitt hat. Pitt is like a fun hat. team to watch, and yeah. Wake is insane. I mean, they play yeah. uh, up and down the field like a basketball team, yeah. you know, like yeah. a fast break team. The last time Pitt was relevant, Dan Marino and Tony Dorsett was on the field together, okay? Yeah, that, <laughs> Can you give me a break? That's <laughs> why I see that thing. It's all I'm like bundled up. Hugh, and it's Hugh Green a, for the Heisman. Yeah. I think that's been sitting in the back of his car for 20 years. It's not even the right color. Right. Well, it's faded. That's how it's old faded. it is. Yeah. yeah. He's probably got a, a Dan Marino autograph in the back of that. <laughs> you can't even see the ink anymore. <laughs> That's what I love about Marco, though. Dedicated man. They win? Dedicated to his Pittsburgh team. 76 they won the title? 76. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Nothing since, right? Johnny Majors? <laughs> Johnny Majors, very good. Yeah. Score one for you. Yeah, Ring the bell. There Ring it is. The bell. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love college football, and yep. you know that. Yep. And this is a great weekend, and it's great to see new teams in there, to be totally honest. Right. Oklahoma State, Baylor, uh, Pittsburgh, Wake, mm-hmm. um, even, uh, you know, Utah to have a chance to get in there. Yeah. Uh, Georgia, uh, and, of course, Alabama is always in there. Uh, and then a team like Iowa could sneak up and, uh, and, and grab Michigan. There's no Ohio State. So it's really, it's really a nice weekend to see, and it's, uh, it's good for the fans. And uh, the, tonight there's a uh, fantastic game at uh, Allegiant that uh, we'll be running over to pretty soon. You got it. Pac-12 championship game tonight. Uh, first time at Allegiant Stadium here in Las Vegas. Oregon taking on Utah. We'll be breaking that game down. Uh, here coming up in the next segment, uh, Trevor Maddich uh, is going to uh, join us. Mike Pritchard will join us at the 3 o'clock hours. We talk a little NFL. And then, of course, at 3.30, our best bet segment uh, coming your way here at the Cosmopolitan. T.C. Martin, Brian Benowitz, and Marco D'Angelo in the house. Uh, before we go any further, Double B, we must talk about what transpired Last week, you were in the big house. You were on the sideline. Uh, we, we pumped it up. We hyped it up. Uh, you really thought Michigan had a shot at, at uh, you know getting uh, seven points. Uh, did, didn't need didn't need the seven points. And the Wolverines go from basically I don't want to say obscurity. I'm not going to say that. But let's be honest. This Michigan team we've always just kind of took with a grain of salt. Said okay, you know they're. They're pretty good. We, we know they got a defense. We love their running backs. Quarterback, really still not sure about this. But we know Harbaugh can't win the big game. Harbaugh hasn't been able to beat Ohio State. But you guys are at home. You're playing in the big house in front of whatever it is, 109,000. 111,000. 111,000. Yep. You were one of them, exactly. And uh, when this game started off, I mean, Michigan started marching down the field. And then I just start having these flashbacks like, this is the Ohio State defense that we were talking about before, earlier on in the season. I think I brought that up last week, too. And I was with you. I was rooting for Michigan to you know, get Ohio State out of there, create a little bit more of the chaos. 
But talk about being in that atmosphere last Saturday afternoon. TC, I put my undefeated Michigan record at stake, and I told you it will remain undefeated. Yes. Because they were going to go in and they were going to run over Ohio State, and that's what they did. Ohio State's defense was not solid, and, they, and it was proven. Now, Ohio State can play with a lead. When they play with a lead and they force another team to pass the ball and whatnot, and it gets into this wild games, that's where they're, that's where they're, they're dangerous. But as soon as uh, they had a halftime lead of 14-13, uh, there were people that were believing. Uh, that first drive was a lot of creativity in the play calling. Um, the offensive line and their wide receivers blocked insanely well in that football game. What it was, what it was like in their TC, it was cold. Yeah. It was cold. It was snowy. Uh, and you look, you and look it, good in your tooth, though. It, I was very layered up, and I had heated gloves thanks to facilities, Mike, to keep my hands warm. Uh, we didn't sit the whole time. You stood the entire game, not even not even thinking about sitting down. Yeah. Uh, the crowd was into it from the get-go. They did all kinds of things and for pregame hype. Uh, and, you know, they, or, they were win or, or die trying, that type of thing, and uh, all the stuff that was going on. The place was excited, and as the game went on, it got more and more and more fun. Mm-hmm. And it got loud, and then the end of the game, it was almost like a relief. I, I've never seen a stadium fill up like that, ever. I mean, I was, I was standing there, and, and you couldn't go anywhere because nobody was leaving. They eventually had the announcers get up and say, hey, leave the field. Uh, and, and, go to take the celebration elsewhere. And did you storm the field? I did not. I, I watched the, the insanity uh, that happened as they stormed the field. They sang that song by the Killers a couple of times. The whole stadium sings it. Uh, their pom-poms and uh, the, the maize and blue. It was awesome. Uh, they had Desmond there. They had uh, Woodson there. Right. They were ready to go seize the moment, and they did, and it was Electric. It was, you know, I told you this was a bucket list for me to go yep. to. I waited for Brooks' senior year to go, and I, I told the guys at Michigan, I said, look, you guys need a little help here. Uh, I, I've never lost in, in the big house. I've never lost at any Michigan event, actually. Right. Uh, uh, 2-0 in, in hockey, 2-0 in basketball. Right. Thank goodness I didn't go to the game here, but the one against uh, Arizona. Right. And then now 4-0 in, in, in football. And uh, as far as a scene, as far as an environment, it's fun. It's absolutely fun. Highly recommend anybody that, that, that loves college football to get to a game in, in Ann Arbor because they do it right. And it's just, it's just a ton of fun. The big question is now Iowa backs their way into this big yeah, what, 10 championship what's up with game. Nebraska? It, well, <laughs> like, we, we, talk about a team that, that you talk about, blows games. Yeah, you talk about Auburn. Forget it. Yeah. Nebraska's <laughs> the king. And, and we always talk about another, another one-score loss for Nebraska. Yeah, nine of but them. But Wisconsin, all they had to do was beat Minnesota. And not an easy task because that's a huge rivalry row the boat. As, as well. Row the boat, P.J. Fleck, yep. there you go. But now, if you're Michigan, coming off what you just described, how much of a concern is that as huge. you get ready to play Iowa? And especially, it's, you know, Wisconsin's one thing. Oh, pff, Iowa. We didn't, we, we didn't think we'd see Iowa this yeah. year. Uh, it's it's a concern. It isn't uh, the spread even shows it. I think it's only ten or eleven points. It's eleven, um, yep. and uh, it is a concern. Uh, Iowa has a a very poor offense. Uh, they rely on their defense to create turnovers and in their special teams to block punts and things like that uh, to create short fields, and that's how they've been successful. Uh, if you go to the game way to beat them, Purdue beat them, just ran over them. And if that's how Michigan's mindset is, and they gear up and they have a good week of practice, uh, that's what they should do. Will it happen? These are 18 to 22-year-old kids. Who knows? Who knows if they can get right back up? We've seen it in basketball. 
Gonzaga couldn't get up for Duke. Duke couldn't get up for Ohio State. It happens. It's hard. It's hard for these guys to get up. Uh, this is a big moment for Michigan. They're number two in the country, and they have an ability to to, to not play Georgia and maybe until the national championship game. Yeah. So this is uh, this is gut check time for them. Uh, I did not play the game because of the spot. Right, Marco. I agree 100%. I can't play Michigan under any circumstance in this mm-hmm. game. It, you know, use the horse reference. If there was ever somebody ready to bounce, right. this is the the situation. And you saw that that scene at the end of the game. I don't know what time they they stopped partying, if they have yet, in Ann Arbor. Right. I mean, really, you've had. I mean, we make jokes about Harbaugh and not being able to win the big game and everything. It, it, it's an insane situation. And how many coaches at both Michigan and Ohio State have lost their job, had great winning records at the schools, but lost their job for one reason? They couldn't beat Ohio State or couldn't beat Michigan. John Cooper, you know, he was the poster child for winning every year, except the, the game he needed Correct. to win. Um, so for Harbaugh... All he has to do is win this game. That's the thing. He doesn't need style points. They could play a little tentative in this game, and that could hurt them. And for Iowa, they have to have basically the same script that Michigan had to Ohio State. You cannot let Michigan get two scores up on you because then that takes you out of your game plan, which they don't have an offense. As long as they can keep this an ugly game, and that's what Iowa likes to do, So, you know, if you play the game, you've got two options. You can go Iowa full game, or you can also go Iowa first half, where if Michigan's going to be flat, they're going to be flat out of the gate. Right. They're not going to get out to a big lead and then fall apart. Right. One thing that was, was interesting there was they there was five false start penalties on Ohio State. Right. They, they didn't seize the moment. They weren't. They, it was too big for them, is what it turned out, which was surprising to people. Although Stroud is a freshman and, 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 and whatnot, and they, they couldn't hear, they couldn't see things. And every time that there was a false start penalty, they put it up on the board. The big house effect. And so that's pretty cool. And the, play, the, the crowd really loved that. Yeah. So. Iowa's going to have to play the perfect game. And they're going to have to be the first one to... If there is any loose balls, you know, they're, they're you know, tip pass, they're going to have to pick it off, and they're going to have to be able to convert on it. That's the only way I see it because we know that this team is ugly offensively. Defensively, they're going to do their thing. And remember, last time these two teams played, they didn't play last year. They played two years ago. Final score, 10-3. to 3. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the type of, of football both of these teams play. However, Michigan has... A much better offense. They're more electric. They, they're more diversified in the things that they can do. They can open it up. But, you know, Iowa just, I still can't get out of my head that stretch in the middle of the year where they couldn't score more than a touchdown against Wisconsin and more than a touchdown against Purdue. And again, they just, you know, they have quarterback issues. And they are going to have to play a clean game, 100% clean game. And like you said, Marco, muck it up. Michigan is going to have to beat themselves. That's the only way I see Iowa Tur- winning this game. Turnovers is what got Iowa to eventually be number two in the country for some weird reason yeah. because the pollsters don't know what they're watch- looking at. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, they were never any that that good. Mm-hmm. But being able to score immediately, pick sixes and scoop and scores mm-hmm. and block punts and punt returns mm-hmm. and things like that when their offense is on the field, that's kind of lulls you into this false belief like it's going to always happen and it does not. Right. Uh, so if you uh, don't create those short fields for your offense, it's going to be a lot of trouble for them. Everybody goes back to the Purdue game, and they got their butts whooped there. Don't forget, that 
Purdue game was immediately after the Penn State game. That You talk about young kids. That was two top five teams playing head-to-head, and they went to, you know, if the, if the Penn State quarterback doesn't get hard in that game, Iowa doesn't win that game. No, not at all. Okay, but they did win that game, and it was such a big game that they were right for a letdown against Purdue. We were all on Purdue that one, one. Yes, we were. And one thing that was amazing, and here's one last thing from the Ohio State game, those Ohio State receivers that were so good were not open. They were not open. They were blanket coverage. And when they made catches, they were miraculous catches. They were really good catches. One on his hip, one behind his hip. I mean, just all this crazy stuff. So Michigan's defensive backs were way better than I expected. And so if Iowa can't run the ball because Michigan loads it up with big 97, big 55 in there, uh, then, you know, what are they going to do with that? Because these these guys are good on the outside. They are really good. Remember, Michigan is just as staunch as Iowa. Everyone wants to talk about Iowa's defense. Michigan... And they proved it last week against Ohio State. They shut the Buckeyes down. All right, when we come back, Trevor Maddich is going to join us, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. Does a fantastic job, of course, with ESPN, the college football. And we are going to break down all of the conference championship games, or the ones of meaning. Uh, We will hit those. Talk a little bit about tonight's game here at Allegiant Stadium, the Pac-12 championship game between Oregon and Utah. T.C. Martin, Double B, Marco D'Angelo, right here live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on a football Friday. Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good. Live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on this Friday afternoon, getting ready for a fantastic weekend. we got the Pac-12 Championship game at Allegiant Stadium tonight. We've got the NFR, got the rodeo, of course, in town. Huge. A lot of Cowboys rolling around not only Cosmopolitan but Las Vegas. And then, of course, I'm seeing some Washington football team fans. They're here for the Raiders on Sunday, so another great weekend here in Las Vegas, and a we say out, that each and every week. A shout-out to the Ute fans over here, and we saw some Oregon fans earlier, so this is a great weekend. That's it. To, tonight, if you're here and you want to go see a country band, we got Cody Jinks here on Sunday, and then we got uh, Brantley Gilbert on uh, on Saturday, right up your alley. Right up my alley. There it is. Okay, I'll be partaking in uh, some other food ventures. There's no question about it. No better place to be than the Cosmopolitan for all of your food options. Uh, you got to come check it out. And of course, the fantastic sports book here, powered by William Hill, where we are at each and every Friday afternoon. And don't forget Saturday afternoon, you got Charlie's band playing. <laughs> at, Silver at Black Charlie. Yes, his that's, band is band is playing at, at wait, uh, the okay. Harley Davidson on uh, that's Sahara right. and Rainbow at okay, eleven o'clock. Hold on, hold on. I got, I got, I really got to think about this. Uh, yeah. um, You've seen, this, got, you've seen this music. Hold on, I got, I got, I got Silver Black Charlie playing in the in the band Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Alabama, Georgia. Wow. It's close. I, it's, I, a toss I, it's, it's toss-up. You know, you, with a guy like you, you probably have a, a TV that you could put in there and, you know, put your chair up yeah, and you enjoy go. it. There you go. Three sets. They're going to have a lot of fun there. Sin City Roadrunners. Well, why not just uh, have, have Charlie do a, uh, you know, an encore performance at the tailgate party on Sunday afternoon? Let's do it. Let's do it. There Let's you do go. it. Tell him, bring his amp. Be ready there, to go. There, there you go. There. All right. Uh, Let's visit with our good friend Trevor Maddich, uh, breaking down the college football conference championship games. Trevor, what is happening, my friend? Well, just ready for this finale. I didn't think we'd ever get here. This season has been so up and down, so crazy, so much stuff going on, and we're finally here to the end of the regular season. I can't wait. Trevor, I want you to break down tonight's Pac-12 championship game right here uh, with us here next door to Legion Stadium. 
can hardly wait uh, for this tonight. Uh, you know, again, no playoff implications uh, for either team, but uh, should be a heck of a game. Oregon 10 and 2. Uh, Utah has three losses, but we know what they did two weeks ago, and they drilled the Ducks 38 to 7. How much do you do you play the revenge card here if you're? Uh, you know, Mario Cristobal and your Oregon here, because we know that Oregon is much better than what they displayed two weeks ago. They are much better than that, but there's a reason that Utah blasted them. I mean, Utah was the more physical team, and they dominated on both lines of scrimmage. That wasn't because Oregon couldn't play. It's because Utah was better than Oregon on both lines of scrimmage. Now, in fairness, Oregon had to go up to altitude and play at Utah where their offensive line couldn't hear anything. So that helped Utah's defense. So this will be a different game because it won't be played at altitude. It'll be a fair fight when it comes to which crowd is the loudest, and that will matter. At the same time, Utah still is the more physical team. Utah still, I think, has the, the stronger offensive and defensive lines. And even though Oregon will be coming in with that revenge factor that you mentioned, even though it's really hard to beat the same team twice, the formula that Utah used to beat Oregon the first time is still there. And Oregon is going to get smashed in the mouth in this game, so it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Oregon has won the last two uh, Pac-12 championship games. Uh, Oregon's won... uh, uh, you know, six of the last seven games here this season. And, you know, Utah's got some, some ugly losses on this schedule. Uh, you know, they, they lost to BYU. They lost to San Diego State. They lost to Oregon State uh, as well. And uh, you know, this is uh, – and the line here is three. I think, you know, probably deservedly so three. But I think you're going to get a, a very good effort from the Oregon Ducks tonight. Yeah, you, yeah, you, know, you, you bring up you bring up games TC that were very early in the year. This 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 team was dealing with a, a couple of deaths in the program, right. uh, and they weren't quite ready to play. And as the year came on, they they rallied together, and, and it all peaked against Oregon, uh, where they did. They as Trevor said, they smacked him in the mouth. Now that was uh, again at at Utah, a very difficult place to play. Um, uh, and it was on a different surface. So now you're going to, to turf tonight, and you're playing in a, uh, a neutral site. And so, uh, uh, as Trevor said, it's, it's more of a fair fight. But Oregon, or Utah seems to have a chip on their shoulder right now. And uh, it seems like they're playing for uh, their fallen comrades, and I think that that's a, a, a very good thing to see because they did right the ship after some ugly losses early in the year. Marco, how do you see this game tonight? I like uh, Utah, and you go back to those two games at the beginning of the season that they lost back-to-back. The first one was the rivalry game, uh, BYU. That's a, when the Utah teams battle each other. That's, that's a war, and that was a tough game at BYU. They also lost their quarterback in that game, if you remember. When then they had to play San Diego State with a backup quarterback. Now that quarterback's playing well. And this team down the stretch, the only bad game they had was Oregon State. And to be honest with you, Oregon State played good football the second half of the season. I think the key to it is, as Trevor said, Utah is one of the few physical teams in the Pac-12, most of this conference is a finesse conference. They're going to run the football down Oregon's throats. I will give Oregon credit last week. I thought they would be flat after losing their opportunity for the national championship. But they came to play. 
looks like they still want this Pac-12 championship, but I can't bet against Utah. Yeah, and Oregon uh, blasted Oregon State uh, in the Civil War game. I guess the, we don't call it that, though, anymore. Not anymore we, no. we, can't, we can't do that, right? Yeah. Has so, that been canceled? Yeah. <laughs> Cancel culture. No, I, think, I think they're going to rename it the gentlemanly competition. <laughs> I, I think the, the Apple Cup is very sweet, so that's what they'll go with. There you go. Yeah. Trevor, let's talk about the games tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock here on the West Coast. We got Baylor and we got Oklahoma State. Uh, these two teams met back on October 2nd. Oklahoma State won the game 24 to 14. Oklahoma State, as we know, solid D. They are uh, lead the nation in sacks, uh, in third down, uh, third down defense, uh, tackles for losses. They're fifth in scoring D, only giving up 16 points per game. But uh, this this Baylor team is pretty darn good uh, themselves here. The line here is a uh, five five and a half in favor of Okie State. And here we go. We're talking about coming off an emotional high. We talk about it with with Michigan last week against Ohio State, and now we get into this situation from Bedlam from last week. How do you think Oklahoma State uh, handles themselves against Baylor tomorrow? This is going to be a strangely physical game, given the reputation of the Big 12 in recent years, because Oklahoma State's defense is one of the best in the country. And if it weren't for Georgia dominating everybody's conversation about great defenses, Oklahoma State would be talked about a lot nationally as one of the best in the country. They are legitimately that good. They get into the backfield. They're disruptive in the backfield, and that's how – the Cowboys' defense starts being so effective. Their offense is really up and down, and that's going to be interesting against Baylor because Dave Aranda, their head coach, is one of the best defensive minds in all of college football. And it's really hard to go against a defensive mind like that, beat them the first time, and then have to face them a second time when you've already showed him the best that you've got. Because Aranda now will be able to see what he needs to stop. And Oklahoma State's offense has been generally uh, okay. It's been okay. There have been games where the running game for Oklahoma State has been really good. But the passing game wasn't. And the running game and defense carried them. There have been games when they couldn't run the ball. But the passing game, for some reason, really stepped up. And the passing game and the defense carried them. Well, now I think it's going to be tough for Oklahoma State to run or pass. Because Aranda knows what they want to do specifically against Baylor. The big thing the Bears have to overcome is that Gary Bohannon, their quarterback, either won't play or he'll play with a hamstring injury that's been that's kept him from playing the last couple of weeks. And he is a difference maker when he's fully healthy. But even if he does play, he won't be fully healthy. And that'll be the interesting thing here to me. What will Baylor's offense be able to do if Bohannon plays Gimpy or doesn't play at all? Because this is the strangest thing of all. In a Big 12 that features Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, guess whose offense was the most yards per game in the entire conference this year? That's Baylor, 446. Baylor. 446 yards per game. Yeah. Baylor, isn't that crazy? Yeah. And so if the quarterback position can play at a high level, this game is a real wild card. I agree with you. You know, Bohannon is was their starting quarterback, had that hamstring injury that Blake Shapin came in and actually played pretty well. I was a little nervous when he came in because I had Baylor last week, and I'm going, oh, no. But uh, now I think, you know, with even if Shapin has to play, even maybe the go-to quarterback system here, I think that game last week is, is going to to help uh, help him out. So we'll see. Uh, Marco, thoughts about uh, 
Oak State and Baylor. Well, obviously you've got the revenge factor. They only have two losses, Baylor, on the season. One of them was to Oklahoma State earlier in the year when Baylor was still finding themselves. Baylor's played much better the second half of the season. And the only loss they had down the stretch, guys, was the TCU game. And that was a game I was on TCU. It was the week they fired the coach because Baylor was between beating Texas the week before and had Oklahoma on deck. That was a horrible sandwich spot for Baylor. Other than that, it's been a clean slate for them. I think they get the revenge. And just like we said, the Michigan game, how big of a win was that for Oklahoma State knocking off Oklahoma? And at the end of that game when Oklahoma was on that final drive, do you think they got a few calls from the Big 12 officials? Mm. Uh, Oklahoma State, we didn't, you know, Oklahoma, well, just leave early. You don't have to go to the championship game. You're done with the uh, Big 12. They probably had word that Lincoln Riley was bolting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll give you a different opinion. I think Oklahoma State blasts this team. Okay. I think Baylor, without their QB, their quarterback, even with them, 78th in the country at passing. They can only run the ball. They are a pretty good running team, but they're going up against a defense that's number six in the country against the run. Oklahoma State's defense has just kept them in games, and, and their offense has just been, as, as Trevor put it, okay in spots. They were able to put up a bunch of points against a pretty good Oklahoma team last week, despite almost giving it away offensively. If they can overcome Sanders, and they did the first time. Yep. Sanders was terrible in that first game. He had 13 for 23 and three interceptions. And they still won 24 to 14, out first down to 24 to 10, right. yards 413 to 285, and that 285 was a 55-yard run that Baylor had. Mm. I don't see a 55-yard run against this Oklahoma State team. I think Oklahoma State is workmanlike. They're going to go in and they're going to drub Baylor. I think Double B just gave us a prelude to one of his best bets. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the SEC game. We all want to see this one, right? Uh, Georgia and Alabama. Georgia number one, Bama number three right now. This line opened at three and got bet all the way up to six. Why? Because of what people's eyes saw lately. The old Janet Jackson effect, like I said, what have you done for me lately? And they saw what, how Auburn played Alabama all of a sudden. People are going, well, wait a minute. Well, let's, let's slow the roll a little bit. Remember, Alabama has been favored in 92 straight games. They've been favored in 164 of their last 165. Last time Alabama was a dog, oh, it was against this Georgia team. Uh, back in 2015, and they blast them 38 to 10. Now, I don't like to really throw those kind of comparisons because different players, all that sort of thing. But uh, Alabama does play well. They're undefeated it's, in the Mercedes-Benz zone. They're six and zero. So, Bama dog, Trevor, should we be concerned, or is this just Georgia's year? This is Georgia's year, but you can't count Alabama out. I mean, they've got NFL players all over that roster, just like they normally do. Although they have had injuries on the offensive line, that's caused trouble. That's where I think the, one of the pivotal matchups will be Georgia's ferocious pass rush against the quick release of Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. I mean, Bryce Young's release from the time he starts his motion to the time he lets go of the ball is about a third of a second. And so he could have rushers running at him unblocked, and he'll just wait for things to develop downfield, and all of a sudden, boom, the ball's gone. You see him do that all the time, and he'll need that in this game. Even so... The Alabama offense won't be the key. If you look at Georgia's season, the only team that played them close was the team with the best defense, and that's Clemson in the opener. And so what you'll need to do if you're Alabama is have the defense show up, the same defense that showed up against Auburn, 
and keep that score down. The Alabama defense has been up and down this year. I expect them to be up, and I expect them to continue with what they do best, which is get into the backfield. I mean, they lead the SEC in tackles for loss and sacks. And in Will Anderson, linebacker, they've got the best individual tackle for loss and sacker in the entire Power Five. So I think the offense is going to need to move the ball. They're going to have to score. But for Alabama, it still remains that their defense has to show up and be the dominant Bama defense that we have come to expect over the years, but that we have not seen consistently this year. I would say this, TC, it's not just that Auburn game. It was the LSU game. It was the Arkansas game. They have not looked like Alabama. Texas A&M game where they lost. Where they lost. They just haven't looked like Alabama. They're not dominant. They're not blowing people off the ball. They've had some injuries and whatnot. They've had a jillion players go to the NFL, and they're a little young. So this Georgia team, is it's it's like a magical season. Seven touchdowns this year. For the year. That's all they've given up. Seven. Uh, I I don't know if I've ever seen that. I mean, is that that some sort of record? This is just unheard of their defense in Alabama they could really just run the ball I'm sorry just pass the ball they cannot run the ball they can't run the ball at all in fact they're 83rd in the country at running and Brian Robinson is injured so So, he's listed as questionable Georgia Georgia could stop the run in their sleep and they're number two in the country against the pass this this is a mismatch on paper it's a mismatch I'll, t- I'll, I'll lay the six. I mean, it, to me, it looks easy. They don't play the game on paper. No, no, they don't. <laughs> you want me to save mine because this is one of my best bets? Oh, no, yeah, we'll save it. We'll okay. save it. Yeah, absolutely correct. All right. All right, Trevor. Cincinnati and Houston. Everyone's been talking about Cincinnati. Uh, give them a shot. They slide in there now at number four. They're 12-0, but they're playing this Houston Cougar team that's 11-1. and um, You know, a lot of people don't know much about Houston. Houston lost their... They're opener against Texas Tech, but they've reeled off 11 straight here. And, uh, you know, Houston plus 11, you, you want any part of that? Or are you thinking that this is this is Cincinnati's uh, game to roll? And, and let me ask you this before you get into that. Why is Cincinnati playing at home? And I know why. I mean, but this is a conference championship game, and this is this goofy conference where you play in your home fields. Is this because they don't think anybody else would come to a neutral site? They couldn't get fans? I mean, this unfair advantage here, you know, uh, you know, for Cincinnati. But go ahead. I had to throw that in. Go ahead, Trevor. Yeah, it's not unfair at all. You want to have home field advantage in the championship game, earn it. Earn it. <laughs> I think this is great. I hate conference championship games. Well, like both the of these teams are undefeated in, in conference. Clara. They're both undefeated in conference. It's not like right, it. But, but Cincinnati won the tiebreakers. They got them the home field, and that's what matters. The thing is, it guarantees an amazing atmosphere. It is bad for a conference to have their championship game in the stadium that's half full because of of whatever reason. But we've seen that in ACC championship games, in Pac-12 championship games in Santa Clara. It just just hasn't, hasn't been the destination that they expected it to be sometimes. And I think it's smart for the American to do it this way because it guarantees that atmosphere. Now, the thing about Houston is that they've been under the radar. I mean, they haven't beaten a Power 5 team. They only played one, Texas Tech, and lost to them. So they've had the worst or second-worst schedule, I believe, in all of college football from a standpoint of easy schedule. At the same time, they've done what you needed to do. Their defense is legit. Houston's defense swarms. It gets behind the line. It tends to overwhelm offensive lines that aren't totally on their game. And offensively, they can move the ball. I mean, this Houston team is a serious threat. 
and they, they play with a chip on their shoulder, which is something that Cincinnati has not done for a while. As I watch Cincinnati, I see them being efficient when they're at their best. I don't see them being angry and mean. Houston plays angry and mean. Cincinnati has more talent. Cincinnati should win this game. But I don't think Cincinnati will run the ball very well. I think it's going to come down to Desmond Ritter. I think he'll struggle at times. He'll turn the ball over at times. But he'll have to make plays down the stretch in order for Cincinnati to finish this season undefeated and make the playoff. And I think they will. But I think Cincinnati fans are going to lose a lot of hair and they'll age about 10 years before this thing is done. Well, this is one of my uh, best bets as well. And I'm, I don't know. You're making me feel uh, queasy here, uh, Trevor. I'm not used to you on an underdog with me. <laughs> no. Here's the thing, though. Whatever I say the second half of this season, you go the opposite and you win. So you should switch right now. I, I agree. This is going to be a bad spot for Cincinnati. Um, all they have to do to win. They're at the point now. Style points don't matter. They win, they should be in. And I think that added pressure is going to be a little bit too much for them. And Houston is a very good team. And Houston's playing with house money. I mean, they've got nothing to lose here. They can let it all hang out. And that makes them a very dangerous dog. They are good on both sides of the football. I think this line's too high. And part of it is because they are playing in Cincinnati and what's on stake. You're paying a tariff for that. Right. And you can say the same thing about the Big Ten championship game with Michigan. I mean, all Michigan has to do is win. Style points are out the door. They're sitting at number two right now. Just win in advance, as the old Jimmy V says, right? Survive in advance. Survive in advance. That's Jimmy all you got to do. And uh, you got Iowa, you know, who backed their way, you know, into this game here, uh, Trevor. Last time these two teams played two years ago, the score was 10-3. to do you expect that type of game with Michigan and Iowa, or um, how much of a chance do you give the Hawkeyes here? Not much. I think if Michigan loses, it'll be because they lost, not because Iowa won. Iowa was number two in the nation earlier in the season by going plus 13 in turnover margin. And then they stopped doing the turnovers, and they ended up losing some games. And that's been really the story of this Hawkeye defense. So, to me, you've got a, a Hawkeye defense that still, by the way, the last couple of weeks they've started to take, get more takeaways. But if Michigan holds on to the ball, which they do, Michigan's one of the best teams at not having giveaways, then I don't see any way that Iowa can beat them. Iowa's offense is okay running the ball, but it's way less than okay throwing the ball. And to me, that's the biggest difference. Two good defenses, only one good offense. And I think that Michigan would be smart in this game to not try to, to open it up and air it out early, just to, just to grind it out and let Iowa's offense break against the rocks of the Michigan defense and make sure that the Michigan offense doesn't do anything to help the Hawkeyes out. So you talk about it being low scoring. I can see that, and I can't see any way that Iowa can take it from Michigan. I can only see Michigan blowing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. We talked about it earlier. Uh, again, I think Iowa was very overrated with all the turnovers early in the year, uh, elevated to number two in the country. And, uh, um, you know, they, 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 they win games very ugly. And, and the only way they win this game is if their defense creates short fields or yep. immediate scores or their special teams, like they blocked a punt last week to turn the game around against Nebraska. Um, Michigan, uh, I think if, if they get, you know, gear down from that huge win, 
get the team focused and just go on and like I said, a workmanlike effort and just go smack Iowa in the mouth and, and come away with a, a victory, they should. Brian, you saw this team up close uh, in, in person last week. They do have speed. And I think, you know, playing in the indoor pristine conditions of Indianapolis there, this is going to favor Michigan. You know, this isn't going to be a weather game at all where Iowa can really kind of muck things up. And I think that Iowa's lack of speed is, is going to be shown here. And uh, I think advantage Michigan, again, just like we said earlier, it, Michigan is going to have to really give this game away in order to lose it. Yeah, and, and like I said earlier, their wide receivers were incredibly physical and, yeah. and finished blocks all over the field uh, so that when the, when the uh, uh, um, Hassan broke into, right. uh, Haskins broke right. into the secondary, there was somebody there to give him that secondary block. And he, they, were, they were just tough. They seem to be just the tougher team. And, uh, you know, can Iowa match that? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And, uh, again, the, the big thing is can Michigan just get right back up for the game? That's the whole question. And, and this might be a game that you sit there and bet a lot in-game because you're going to see in that first quarter if Michigan's flat or not. I mean, when they right. come out. That's the beauty of, you know, now with apps and everything else, how many different ways you can bet games. Because to me, that's the whole handicap. Does Michigan bounce or do they not? They are the better team. And if they played this game ten times, Michigan's probably going to win and cover eight of the ten. But there's there's that question mark right now that that is the biggest game in the Jim Harbaugh regime there. Does he get this team back up? How did they answer the bell? We'll see. All right, Trevor, we appreciate uh, the thoughts on the championship game weekend handicapping there, and uh, we will talk to you uh, in a little bit uh, a little bit later next hour for our best bets. And, uh, again, uh, you're going to shock Marco if you come with an underdog here, so we're bracing ourselves, okay? Yeah, you better get a, you better get a smash for it right now. Take <laughs> <laughs> a shot. <laughs> Thanks a lot, my friend. We'll talk to you a little bit later. Appreciate you. All right. There he is, Trevor Maddich, uh, ESPN, does a fantastic job on the college side uh, with uh, that. And also um, in the NFL side as well, too, of course, the former lineman and the for- former national champion at BYU. And then Trevor also covers uh, the Washington football team who will be here in Vegas on Sunday against the Raiders. So we'll look forward to that. Next hour, we start talking uh, the NFL. Uh, Mike Pritchard will join us, the former wide receiver, also part of Raider Nation Radio and VEASAN. He will join us, a longtime colleague, old Pritch, and we start talking about the NFL and then our best bet segment coming your way next hour as well. T.C. Martin, Brian Benowitz, Marco D'Angelo, live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. It is a football Friday. Come on down here. Enjoy the ambience. Get your bets in. Use the promo code TC50. Open a brand-new account with the William Hill mobile app. Do it. $50 free in your account when you open a brand-new account. Deposit 50. They'll match it. Use that promo code. Come on down. Enjoy us. Enjoy the ambience here, the great food at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas.